Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Say what needs to be said. It's your host, Sante, Mr. Pick Six Sam. Week 13 started on Thursday in Dallas with Geno Smith and the Seahawks looking to bounce back against the Cowboys after coming off an ugly loss against the L.A. Rams. The Cowboys have been criticized for being a team full of stats and unable to win against a team with a winning record. But Dallas will take this challenge head on. Geno Smith and Dak Prescott both played exceptional to put their teams in position to win. The Cowboys defense has a lot of areas to fix if they want to make a run for the Super Bowl. And at one point in the fourth quarter, Seattle presented a physical presence by running the ball on the Cowboys defense in which Cowboys could not match. And this needs to be fixed along with some coverage issues in the secondary or they will fall short of the goal. But the bright spot was Dak Prescott. He's starting to show signs of resilience. Quarterbacks have to be able to navigate through difficult times and games continuously in order to make it to the Super Bowl. I in Washington. Tyreek Hill was unstoppable. The commanders put themselves in the hole early on multiple big plays given up to Tyreek. I expected the Dolphins to win by double digits, so nothing special here. The Miami Dolphins, once again, defeats a team with the losing record. No matter how you look at it, the Dolphins will be a threat in the playoffs. Tool will be the determining factor how far they go in the playoffs. Denver's five-game winning streak came to an end in Houston this week. I can't say enough about D'Amico Ryans and how he has changed his defense around in one year. Houston lost one of his best players in Tank Dell with the leg injury. He's C.J. Stroud, number one target. Houston Texans are good, are a good team. They only are going to get better from here. Now, Russell Wilson's time has expired. What could have been is no more for Russell. Russell gave his team every chance to lose that he possibly could. Now on to Tennessee, and the Colts special teams makes the difference, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans special teams coach is fired at the time you are watching this. This team continues to find a way to win. Now, Tennessee has a lot of questions to answer at the quarterback position, and Will Levis, he can do good, but not much better than Ryan Tannehill. Detroit will run into some trouble if they don't finish how they started this season. This is the time of the year to play good football, and I'm not seeing that from the Detroit Lions. I was impressed the way Detroit closed the game against the, a good defense, but the good teams in the NFC like the 49ers and the Eagles are playing on another level. And not sure if the Detroit Lions can handle one of these teams this time of the year. But maybe one more year of building, and this team will have a good chance to be the number one team in the NFC. We will see. But congratulations to the Lions on a fourth on a four-game winning streak. The Saints saw enough of Derek Carr and Jameis Winston to understand they need a franchise quarterback in the future. Now, the Arizona Cardinals versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Kyler Murray gets his second win of the season. He is 2-2 two two through Week 13. Not bad. And the Steelers isn't a bad team. Kenny Pickett left the game in the first half and didn't return. The Steelers' offense was crippled after Pickett's injury. The execution left when Kenny Pickett left the game. Falcons versus Jets game was a lack of offensive production. Credit to both sides of the ball on defense, but neither quarterback passed over 150 yards and running backs didn't gain over 55 yards. 
Now, the Falcons are most likely headed to the playoffs, but don't expect much after that. If they can land the right draft picks next season, you will see a much better team. Bailey Zappi gets the start in New England. This team has no hope. And for the second time this season, the Patriots were unable to score any points. Another team with quarterback issues and no sign of hope for the future. It's a sloppy win for the Chargers. Another team unable to score any touchdowns but managed to kick field goals and get the victory. The Chargers need answers and they need them fast. I expect them to win. I expected them to win by double digits against Bailey Zappi. Cleveland Browns world has come to an end. All the great expectations are over after Deshaun Watson was lost for the season. No matter how good this defense used to be, it's over. The defense can make games interesting, but not victorious. Joe Vlacco came in, gives the team hope, but not a victory. What a waste of a potentially great season. Aaron Rodgers isn't playing this year and it's not physically possible. If he suffered a torn Achilles tendon and had it surgically repaired, he is simply out there practicing to show love or this is part of his rehabilitation process. And if you watch closely, he is going through the motion gingerly and there's no way possible he can keep up with the speed of an NFL athlete now or in a few months. Other than he is lonely, bored, or misses teammates, I agree. It's no reason for Aaron Rodgers to be out there practicing. Say what needs to be said. In 2022, a trade from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins had fans confused and one fan base super excited. Now, after winning the Super Bowl in 2019 and gaining over 2,500 yards in the next two seasons, why would he be traded? many fans started to speculate. Now, after the 2021 draft, Dolphin fans were excited about their draft pick, a speedy speedster who tore college football up with his speed and connections that he had with quarterback on the team, Tua Tonga-Valor. Everyone felt that Tua needed help to be successful, and this was the perfect pick for him to succeed, being that they already had a connection. And that year was okay for Tua, but it would be a breakout year for the first-year rookie receiver going over 1,000 yards in 16 games at the end of his uh, campaign. Now, head coach Mike McDaniels had a vision. He knew what propelled Tua to the next level, and he followed through on that vision. So in the following year, 2022, Dolphins made a blockbuster trade with the Chiefs in exchange for a first-round pick, second-round pick, and a fourth-round pick in, in 2022. And this trade will change the dynamics of the Dolphins' offense and how defense will cover the Miami Dolphins' offense in the future. They will need to figure out how to defend this offense. And this vision made Tua one of the top leading candidates in the MVP discussions right now, today. So Mike McDaniels is doing a hell of a job. When it comes to Kyle Shanahan, he took over the head coaching duties in 2017 and started to build the team the way he envisioned it to be. And in 2019, Shanahan selected two significant picks in that draft, which was Nick Bosa with the second overall pick and Debo Samuels with the third, 36th overall pick. In 2020, Shanahan drafts with the 25th overall pick in the first round, this rookie receiver named Brandon Ayuk. And this pick is to establish a decent core wide receiver room at the time. Now things are much more than just decent. 
Now, Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniels have both been diligent in their process building these teams, and it's showing. It's showing tremendously, and the teams are playing well. Not only are they diligent, but they're also super creative when it comes to designing plays and using these players to create matchup to their advantage. For example, the way Shanahan uses Debo Samuels and motions him around to eventually get him in the backfield and run that football. That's just a weapon right there. The screens and stuff like that. And Brandon Ayuk, he, he continues to get better. And he is slowly, if he hasn't already, becoming Brock Purdy's number one target. His number one go-to guy. Now, we got George Kittle, of course, but I'm feeling like, and it's looking like to me, that Brock Purdy's number one target or the one he feels most comfortable looking for is Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk is the leading receiver on the team right now with 881 yards and is currently on pace to have a career year. And Debo Samuels is a unique talent, right? He has a very, very extremely strong lower body and great balance for a wide receiver, more like a running back playing wide receiver. He is very hard to tackle, which makes him a valuable asset to Shanahan's game plan and the way he built his team and the plays and the way he want to orchestrate things. He fits perfectly and he knew what he was drafting. Now, he only played nine games this season and yet to go over 100 yards receiving in a game because he's used multiple ways and they have a lot of weapons on the team. Um, you know, they got running back, McCaskey, uh, you know, Kittle. They have uh, tons of weapons. I'm trying to bring this whole thing together so we can make this a fair comparison. Now, Tyreek Hill, on the other hand, has undeniable speed that makes life much easier for a quarterback, any quarterback, right? Tyreek has one game over 200 yards and two, 200 yards receiving and seven games over 100 yards receiving. But here is the big, the big difference. Tyreek was targeted 170 attempts last season and has 120 attempts already this season so far before this recording, right? And Brandon Ayuk, he was, a, he was targeted 114 times last season and has 65 targets so far this season. And we all know Tyreek is on pace to go over 2,000 yards receiving. We all know that, right? I'm bringing this all together. Now, George Kittle, he plays a significant role being the second leading receiver on the team. He spent some of the opportunities from Brandon and Debo, limiting their targets, right? The Dolphins, they also have a lot of weapons, but not a premier tight end like George Kittle that will split up receptions from the two main targets, right, between the players. So I think that's a little advantage right there for Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, right? But it's obvious who gets the more attempts and who is the more featured player on their offense. And we all know and we see that that's Tyreek Hill. But I want to know, who is the better duo at receiver? Is it Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? Or is it Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk? Which one presents more for that team or can do more? We know the speed that Tyreek has and he takes the top off. But we've seen that speed been shut down and been limited. And, um, you know, when they put certain coverages of uh, like Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots did, Christian Gonzalez did a great job, and a few other teams did a good job. But just because you're targeted so many times doesn't necessarily just make you a better player. That's what I'm trying to fit this in. If you want to go by the numbers, yeah, the Dolphins have it. But if you don't just go strictly by the numbers, you break it down a little bit and understand one is it's premiered on the offense and featured, and one is you know not and is targeted way more than other. Who 
is really the better core, the duo at receiver. Who does more for their team? Is it Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk? Like I said, Debo can go in the backfield, screens, block, um, a lot of things. Tyreek Hill, he can go in the backfield. He can screen and block. And Jalen Waddle, man, he, we, we didn't say too much about him, but he could take the top off of the top off a of defense at any time, just like Tyreek Hill. His numbers are down a little bit because it seems like Tyreek and um, I'm, I'm sorry, Tua is is looking for Tyreek more and more and more. Um, he seems like he's being obsessed with it a little bit, and I get it. He's a he's an exceptional player with an exceptional speed that can like you know score from anywhere. So it can make you look for him a lot of the times, but you can't forget to leave Jalen Waller out and um, you know things of that nature. So let me know what you think and how you feel about these two duos and who is the better duo. Mr. Pick Six, man, like I said, next time I'm out. Say what needs to be said. Have you ever thought there was someone that played in the NFL that was faster than Tyreek Hill or someone that plays in the NFL that's faster than Tyreek Hill? Well, let's get into it. You may never heard of this name, but when I tell you fast, explosive, strong, all the prototypes you wish your favorite football player had, my boy Bethel Johnson had it. Like I said, you might not have heard of this name, but I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to break it down. Bethel, he could bench close to 400 pounds and squat 600 pounds like it was nothing. And when it came time to test, Bethel would dominate any test that had to do with explosiveness, running, jumping, anything like that, right? The only player, I'm, I'm making this breaking news right now, the only player in life that ever intimidated me before we ever had a chance to step on the field and compete was Bethel. He never heard this before because I never told him or anyone. But Bethel was the first and only person to intimidate me before we hit on that field. And we're going to get into it, right? But when we were rookies, we did everything together. You know, we ride the bus together to and from practice, you know, to the hotel and, and things of that nature. And some of us were roommates and, you know, we practiced together and did everything together until the entire team came and then it became a, team, a full team practice. Or that would just be the rookies or the new signers, right? And riding the bus back and forth from physicals and taking examinations for the team, we would tell our war stories from college and how we like to play and the things we did in college. And Bethel, you know, he's a talking. He would say, man, on run plays, Zunt, I like to run right to the cornerback and go for his head. I'm trying to knock that cornerback out. And that was his thought process. And that's what he was explaining to me. He want to run to the cornerbacks and block the fool out and he's coming full speed to knock the cornerback out. And I was a little worried. I can't lie. After seeing him testing all those things, I was a little worried. So my eyes got big and I was like in my head, oh shit, son, better get ready. You got to deal with this fella right here, right? I wasn't sure if I faced anyone with his capabilities at this point in my career. I, I went to UCF and played for UCF back when the program was a C caliber program, B caliber, B minus. You know what I mean? Minor, you know, minimal talent. You know, we get the, the kids, the Prop 48s, and whoever can't go to Florida State and Auburn and, and, and Florida and, and things like that, right? Now, Bethel, he easily ran a 4-2 when it was testing time with no technique. He easily run, ran 4-2s all day long, right? Now, I'm going I'm, I'm to come back to this story, but uh, uh, let me finish telling you how fast he was. Because it was another level fast. His speed was tremendous, right? I saw Bethel Johnson run past elite cornerbacks 10 yards, no joke. He was that fast. I mean, it was a long play, but he ran past an elite cornerback 10 yards, right? Because 
and coaches wanted him on the field, but he always stayed in the dollhouse because Bethel was Bethel. Now, I don't even really know how to explain to you to uh, uh, Bethel, but I'm going to try to, right? The speed, like I'm saying. And then if there's someone out there that was ever faster than Tyreek Hill on the football field, the only person it can possibly be is Bethel Johnson. I'm telling you, listen, let's, 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 let's get into it. But there was one problem. There was one problem. And let me get back to this story. Let's get back to the story. There's one problem with Bethel. After testing time and all the post-draft responsibilities are over, it was time to hit the field. And you know me. Shit talk from Lauderdale. All I got on my mind is what he liked to do to DBs. And I know the first chance I get, I'm about to run full speed and put my helmet right in his chin because he already set the tempo. I'm a little scared. I'm a little worried. My back is against the wall. When my back is against the wall, I know what to do is come out swinging. So I'm a little intimidated, right? Before we get to the pad, we're doing one-on-one drills. And like I say, he was fast. He was very, very good. He was very, very good without the pads on. He was balling out of control. It looked like this was the next Hall of Famer of, of the Hall of Famers without the pads on, right? He was jumping, making one-handed catches out of the air like he was the new Randy Moss, and he wasn't even that tall, all right? And I didn't know how I was going to deal with wide receivers in the league if this was the type of talent the receivers were in the NFL, right? Because, I, I, like I said, I, I wasn't used to playing against this type of talent, right? This is totally different for me. But I'm ready for the challenge. Don't, don't get it twisted. We have to put on pads, and this is when the problems begin. When we put these pads on, that's when you get the butter from the duck. Like I said, I got one thing on my mind. Belter is coming for me. Now, we finally got the line up together, and all that crazy shit that was said is out of the window. You got to show me what you talking about. I don't care what you said. That was on the bus. I'm standing on the grass now, nah, baby. So we lined up in scrimmage, in a scrimmage set, and I ran full speed and put my helmet right in his chin, and he tried to attack. But like I said, he wasn't ready for the pound for pound, Mr. Pick Six, and I put a thud on him and, and laid him back, and he went back. And he felt that pain. And every time we lined up in pads after that, we ain't have no problem. He knew he better go easy or pick six was coming with that thunder. And that was my introduction to, to, to Bethel. But let me tell you, let me finish. Bethel, my boy Bethel, he could talk a good game, a great game, and make you think he is going to be the next Randy Moss and break every receiving record known to man. I'm telling you, everybody in the facilities felt that way. He fooled everybody, the trainers. You go ask anybody, man. Go do your research. The trainers, the coaches, everybody. It was just hard to get him on the field, right? He was also that player that would pop up with all of a sudden these mysterious injuries and, and not be practicing and just miss practice. And he loved that, to be on the sideline coming in his fresh stuff and got his new money and all that stuff. I don't know. You know, he loved to do that, right? And he always had everyone shaking their heads like, what is going on with him? The receiving core needed him to practice so they wouldn't have to take all the extra reps and, their, and tire out their bodies. And that was the issue, like I said, because he would miss a lot of practice and these mysterious injuries and nobody would understand what his thing was, right? But for Bethel, it takes a, a village to get Bethel Johnson to get him going and to get him to practice. Now, he, sp he played sparingly in special situations designed for him to, you know, to go deep because of speed and stuff like that. But he was never, he never had a permanent role or he wasn't like a, a you know, a starter, like I said. So one day, Bethel decided he was going to complain about not getting the ball. So, so he decided to talk his shit and tell the coaches he needs to be the starter because he's a second-round pick. He's feeling himself. 
I guess he's, he's, he's the best athlete out there. There was no doubt about it. And he deserved to be the starter, but it was up to him. He complained to the coaches and everyone on the team about his playing time. I mean, it was a daily thing. It was a daily thing until, guess what? Someone got hurt, and it was time for him to play. His bluff was challenged. One of the starting wide receivers is down, and Bethel Johnson has to play. Everything he asked for right now is time to play, and it's here. And we get to see this, this, this great specimen of an athlete go to work. Now, all of a sudden, we come to practice, and Bethel Johnson is quiet, and we don't hear him. You don't hear the, the talking anymore, and, and his swag, and he's loud, and he like to talk about how good he is and what he can do. You don't really hear that no more. But we still practice, so maybe that's just him focusing and getting ready for the game and how he prepares, right? And now it's game time. And if I remember correctly, it was a night game. And on night games and games period, you you have to, you must be in the meeting room a certain time before the game. And it's about two hours, maybe it's two hours and 30 minutes before the game starts. So they can do a head count and make sure everyone is there. The calm before the storm. And as they're counting, it's only one player missing. And you guess who that player is that's missing? If you said Bethel, you're right. It's Bethel. I never seen this before in my life. The man is missing from the team meeting that you, they're outside. The opponents are right outside. The meeting's right here. They're right out there, right? 10, 10, 50 yards. You walk outside, they're right there. And Bethel's not there. And he is slotted to be the starter. He is not there. Everyone is calling and asking for Bethel, trying to get numbers, calling his house phone. Some people had his girl number and this and that, and no sign of Bethel. So we break the meeting and the starting wide receiver is not there. And then like 45 minutes or an hour to go in the game, Bethel walks through the door like nothing's going on. He shows up. And if you know Bill Belichick, like you heard about Bill Belichick, you know good and goddamn well Bethel Johnson ain't playing in that game. And he knew that too. He knew that he going to be late to this game because it's time for him to start and play and he didn't want to play. And he was sent home after that and that was Bethel last season at the Patriots. And, you know, that was another brother. I'm telling you, man, another opportunity of a lifetime for my boy Bethel Johnson, a brother. And he, you know, he had other plans, right? He had other plans. So, you know, I don't know how he's doing. I hope my boy Bethel doing good, man. Bethel. Hit me up, bro. <laughs> old stories, old time. But I'm telling them, I'm telling you, Bethel Johnson, if anybody is faster than Tyreek Hill, it's Bethel Johnson. Go look it up. Go look at some highlights. Man, that dude was fast. Super duper fast. He intimidated me a little bit. You got me. I said it. Until next time, Mr. Pick Six, baby, I'm out. Say what needs to be said. Athletes, we love to see ourselves shining, making plays, going touchdowns. ESPN running highlights of us all night, talking about the game, showing our plays and telling us how good we are. We love to see it. It's the best feeling in the world, especially when we're winning. But what about when we're not winning and it's not going so good? And the highlights they're showing are of us dropping the ball, getting beat deep for a touchdown, fumbling the ball, field goal kickers missing a game-winning field goal. How do you take that? How do you deal with that? How does that make you feel? As I hate to see it. I hate to see when a player can't take criticism or can't be criticized. We are never going to be perfect. And getting criticized is pretty much the same as being held accountable for your mishaps on the field. And we're talking about football for this subject or this episode right here, right now. I was always taught, if you don't want to offer a player dancing in your face, 
the media posting highlights of you, bad plays on ESPN, then don't let it happen. That's what I was taught. Stop it from happening and don't let them dance in your face. Other than that, keep it moving and have a short memory and go take care of business next game because we all going to have bad plays. But I understand. I totally understand. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling or to see our bad plays of ourselves, especially when it's being highlighted. But no one made us sign up to play in this NFL, this football league. We choose to sign up on our own free will. And every game, every game that we step on that field, there are 20 cameras recording from every angle. So nothing will be missed. They will capture every play and every moment that needs to be highlighted for promotional purpose. So if you're on the bad end of that stick, then so be it. Because don't ever feel like you're an exception to the rule and you're that great of a player or you're that famous that you're, you can't be highlighted for your bad plays. It's going to happen to me, you, and, and anybody that plays in the, in the NFL. Right? But on the other hand, if someone is lying on you or misrepresenting something about you, then be my guest. Go prove them wrong. Throw it in their face. But no need to attack someone's family because they are simply criticizing a player or showing a highlight of someone else. It's not really necessary. Right? In all reality, that play from Jamal Adams, that's what we're talking about here, the Jamal Adams play, it looked horrible. It was a horrible play. So be it. Move on. Don't let it happen the next time. Move on. But you ain't got to be on Twitter, you know, going ham. You know what I mean? It is what it is, right? You know, I was falsely accused of, of being a cornerback that go for double moves. And that was a complete lie because everyone gets beat or hit with double moves. But for me, it was never an issue compared to the other cornerbacks in the NFL. They was getting beat and hit with double moves left and right, right? And that's why you see me popping my shit now, right? Because they control the narrative for a long time lying on me on a weekly basis because they couldn't understand my technique and how I was making plays. So they had to go up there and make up things and try to guess what I was doing instead of just coming to me and talking and have an understanding of what was happening. And, um, you know, I got the bad end of the stick of that, but it's all good. So if you feel you're right and you're being misrepresented, man, go prove yourself right. Yeah. But now, nah, like, like I say, the personal shots. Now, on the other hand, now if someone's blatantly, blatantly being disrespectful and, and blatantly lying on you, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. The gates are wide open for whatever needs to be said. Attack is on. Do what you got to do because... They are blatantly doing something that um, is unnecessary. And um, you got to defend yourself, right? And there's no limits to what someone might do or even have done to people when they're crossing those lines. It's a crazy world we live in, right? The NFL has an Instagram, and it posted a highlight of the game, as they always do. And a reporter named Connor Hughes reposted with a quote saying, yikes, and Jamal Adams did not like that. And he decided to go on an all-out tack on the man's wife by posting under her post with the same quote, yikes. Basically insinuating yikes, if you don't know what that means. Basically, she looks like yikes. You know what I mean? And um, ah, what do you think about that? Tell me what you think. I think it was a little unnecessary. Like I said, it was a bad play. They post the highlights. That's what they're supposed to do is their job, right? And when he decided to, to come for Connor Hughes' wife, Twitter did his thing. Twitter went ham on Jamal Adams, and you, you know they went ham. They Twitter's undefeated. We all know Twitter's undefeated. They decided to go do their research, and they brought up his past and his character issues and when he played for the New York Jets. And you know it went crazy. And um, bringing up all his highlights and just basically trolling them because they felt it was unfair. And that's what Twitter will do to you if you don't know. Now you know, right? 
But, but I'm not singling Jamal Adams out to let y'all know. I'm not singling out. I'm only, I'm just making it a point because it's a topic of discussion. And a lot of us are guilty of jumping the gun on attacks to the media or other NFL personalities. I'm, I'm not an exception to the rule. We all are guilty from it, right? But you live and learn, like I say. We learn from it, get better, and move on is the best way we can learn from our mistakes. And that's the only way. If it is a mistake in Jamal Adams' uh, situation, because it sounds like for Jamal Adams, he is standing on business and doubling down on his comments. You tell me how you feel about Jamal Adams and this situation, right? But being an athlete, it, it comes with a, a certain responsibility. And we know that. And, and, and we must uphold that, us athletes. We, we're popular and we're on the main screen, right? We're on the big stage and attention is always upon us. And if we decide to go against the fans and the fans don't like something and they come for the attack and they decide to team up, they are relentless. The majority of them don't care what comes out of their mouth, right? If we play bad or in the media for something foolish, then they will come for us because we, they feel like we're privileged, right? But we can't argue and fight with them all, right? All we can do is stay out of highlights and don't get into off the field issues, and we won't have no issues. All right, man, that's a little take on Jamal Adams' situation. Till next time, I'm out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.